Yes. All right. Good morning, everybody. Happy New Week. Um, I'm here with the gorgeous Suzanne Gomes. Um, she is the author of From Wife to Widow and three hours from where I am now in a massive countryside property. Yeah. What's the place where you're from? Uh, Coolabine. Coolabine. Yeah. So that's in Queensland. And is that like north of Brisbane or inland? Yeah, that's north of Brisbane. It's in the Sunshine Coast hinterland. So it's about inland, 45 minutes from the beaches, which is just perfect. I love it. Awesome. So I can see um, my, uh, what's it called, comments here. So if anyone's got comments or questions, I can follow the stream on my phone. I worked this out only two or three weeks ago that I can do this. <laughs> it was just us talking to each other. But let me give these guys your official introduction of who you are, and then we'll talk about um, this particular topic beyond the widow um, and uh, the reason why you wrote your book from wife to widow and you're also writing your second book and so um, and I've had a little bit of a the pleasure of getting to know you a bit more because we've caught up here when I, I was here and so I think you're amazing so here you go guys Susan Gomes uh, before becoming a small business owner was a corporate executive in one of Australia's iconic companies she led various large teams over 25 years and has spoken and chaired several major events. Suzanne's life uh, was turned upside down when her husband Robert was diagnosed with leukemia in 2013. Over the last six years, Suzanne's journal of Robert's treatment and the diary of her heartache has been turned into her first novel, From Wife to Widow. Suzanne has spoken to groups about her struggles and her role as Robert's carer. Her story is about dealing with loss and grief, but also of love. Her insights are brave and inspirational and give the audience a raw insight to the reality of dealing with blood cancer. She has enjoyed the journey of bringing this book into reality and she's currently writing her second book, From Corporate to Country, and continues to support widows and widowers. All right, so this is a sensitive topic and one that... Um, you know, uh, you know, people might be curious to know, and I guess, you know, maybe what was the passion behind? Let's start off with that. Um, why did you decide to write this book? And um, as you said, I, I was journaling a lot of Robert's medical uh, diagnosis, you know, what the doctors were telling us on a daily basis. But it really wasn't until 2017 when Robert was actually in remission we'd been on a few trips um, we'd done a 75 kilometer hike in Tasmania to raise money for the Leukemia Foundation and I have to say during those three months we actually felt like life was normal um, we were actually going back to some sort of normality um, like I said we went to we went on a holiday to Broome which was amazing um, so I decided um, through many work trips uh, interstate that instead of doing work at night, I'd actually start writing my journal um, and writing basically a book about hope and about how a person can survive blood cancer and then go on and live a normal life. So the book actually wasn't obviously going to be titled what it is today because we had so much hope that Robert was going to stay in remission, survive blood cancer, and then, you know, live a, a wonderful life. So that's how it basically came about. Lots of hours in hotels, lots of hours on planes, 
and me just typing away on how I kind of viewed our journey up until that point. Mm, wow. And so then it shifted, right? So um, so it was three months that you guys thought everything would be okay? Yeah, so Robert had been in remission for uh, just on two years oh, yeah. uh, after he had his bone marrow transplant. Um, but, yeah, in the September of 2017, after we'd been in broom in June uh, we got the unfortunate news that Robert had relapsed and from there we then had nearly another two years of treatments of what we'd call dress rehearsals and near misses where he was in you know critical conditions throughout the disease unfortunately for Robert he had an acute leukemia uh, only 25% of people after having a bone marrow transplant actually survive it. And, you know, I'm a bit of a numbers person and we were always upbeat around we were going to be that 25%. But unfortunately, the disease, um, all the chemotherapy. And for those out there that don't know much about leukemia, leukemia doesn't have um, cures like um, a lot of maybe breast cancers and bowel cancers and, and things that, you know, the survival rate is a lot higher. So unfortunately, then Robert lost his fight in June 2019 um, after, like I said, a, a real long struggle, um, lots of pain, lots of, um, yeah, um, I mean, you can read the book to find out all about it, but it, it was heartbreaking that, that last eight weeks of his life. Yeah, yeah. And then then the book changed a year later, I think we met, wasn't it? Um, yeah, after, yeah. Uh, you know, and then you said, uh, so it was in a way to honour, you know, what you guys went through and to give some tools um, to others because, so let's talk a little bit about your journey as the carer. Um, mm. You know, you say someone needs to care for the carer when things like this happen. So What's some advice or how was it for you? Like, what do you, what do you think, you know, what were the things you, you liked about it and you didn't like about it? Like, you know, what did you need? Yeah, now, um, I was, all my family and all Robert's family are actually down in Melbourne. And, you know, we made the choice in 2009 to actually come and live in Brisbane. Um, and although we'd made lots of friendships here in Queensland, uh, still, people need to go to work and we never wanted to put that burden on anybody else. So I was lucky enough that my mum and dad were retired. Um, they basically, as soon as they could, got up on a, uh, took a plane up to Brisbane. And while I was visiting Robert every day in the hospital, and I initially took three weeks off work when he was first diagnosed, but then I had to go back to work and I was like working seven till three o'clock in the afternoon and then going to the hospital, which was five minutes away, um, you know, three till seven, eight o'clock. And, and if Robert had a really bad afternoon where he'd get fevers, then it might be nine, 10 o'clock. And then I have to do, um, and I say I have to do, but you do, you've got to hold down a job. Um, yeah. I'd, I'd go and do it all again. So having mum and dad up, what that um, allowed me to do was basically do that routine. Yeah. Um, they took the burden off of, you know, caring for the garden, cooking my meals. So every time I came home from the hospital, I had a home-cooked meal that had vegetables and, you know, fruit and all the good stuff that I needed to keep my energy levels up. Um, you know, I needed to make sure that I had at least eight hours sleep 
a night. Um, and by mum and dad doing my washing, doing Robert's washing, um, just doing errands. Like I, I remember I'd get up um, each morning and, I, and mum would say, you know, okay, so what do you need us to do today? And, you know, we, we talked through that. And at least then when I came home, I literally never felt that I had to, um, you know, do those household, you know, things. And plus, you know, it's not just what I would do in the household, it was what Robert would do in the household uh, as well. And that went over that whole period. Um, and I was fortunate enough, and I we had a bit of a joke with my parents at one stage that every time Robert seemed to relapse, and I think this was the universe saying, you know, um, and I'm, I have a very spiritual mindset now, but the universe saying that they needed to be there. So whenever mum and dad was there, when Robert relapsed, we literally fell into that routine again. So I think over the period of nearly the six years Robert was ill, mum and dad basically were my carer yeah. for six kind of iterations of Robert's um, yeah. uh, treatment and then I could be Robert's full-time carer. Yeah, wow. It's a big one, isn't it? Like how blessed you were to have that option, uh, which some people unfortunately don't. Um, but I no. guess what would be some advice um, to people who might be that primary carer like you were, you know, because, yeah. um, you know, how can they seek support if they don't have, like, say, their parents? Yeah, so um, it's really interesting, especially in the cancer area, there's lots of organisations that can help you. Like the Leukaemia Foundation is amazing in terms of, you know, they have villages, they have support services, um, you know, whether it's cancelling or, you know, in a, uh, helping you out for things like shopping. And um, so there is a, a variety of different support services. Um, but what I'd also say is, um, especially to people that aren't the carer but know someone who is a carer, yeah. don't say to your friends and family, give me a call if you need anything, because we don't call. You yeah. do not call when you're, you're thinking of everything else. The last thing you want to do is call somebody. So my advice is bake the lasagna, you yeah. know, make the quiche. Um, take the motor mower around, mow the lawns, take the cleaning stuff, clean the house. Like, yeah. just say I'm coming around. It doesn't matter. The, the person won't tell you no. And if they say no, still come around because between the two of you, you can then help them out. They'll appreciate the help more than you could ever know. Um, and especially families that have kids, you know, let the friends pick up the kids you know you, you, you've really got to um, be selfish in the way that you have to care and love for yourself during that period yeah I agree I agree and I, I, that's an awesome tip you know um, for those you know who want to give a lending hand not to just kind of put it out there and say give me a call because I think it even happens in everyday life when someone says oh if you need anything you know and it's like is this just a throwaway comment, you know, kind of thing? Yes. Um, you know, yeah. or, yeah, so taking that initiative and just go and do it. Um, and I yeah. think, yeah, looking, um, I mean, did you find uh, find it hard? Sometimes you may have, have had to ask for help yourself. So how did you mm -hmm. find that? Because a lot of people are not comfortable asking for help. 
Yeah, I, I would say usually the help when I asked for it was when I was in the midst of just like a breakdown. Um, yeah. And it would, and that would usually come when I was talking to somebody on the phone and I was just like, I don't know what to do anymore. I can't do this anymore. And then it was like, okay, all right, we'll be there. Um, I had a few times where a couple of friends said to me, just come out for dinner after you leave the hospital. And I felt really guilty about that. Um, but at the same time, I needed to do that. And they were like, no, Suzanne, you're coming. And they ring me uh, in the afternoon. We're still on. We're still on. We're coming. I'm taking you out for dinner. I'm, and it was usually face-to-face that then you'd actually start to kind of like ask people for help. So, yeah. you know, you, you've got to be really committed to your friends when yeah. you kind of like say you're going to help because it's usually they do persuade you. And like I said, you know, I remember one night when Robert – they thought he was going to die during his bone um, marrow transplant. And um, I was going out to dinner with some friends and I said to them, uh, to my gorgeous girlfriend, I said, I don't know if I can come. And she's like, Suzanne, you have to come. And I got there and they were like, what is happening? You look horrible. And I said, Robert might die tonight. And I'm sitting in this hotel and it was three days out from Christmas. But the best thing was, is they distracted me that night. And thankfully, Robert made it through. And I then had their support at a time where I probably would have gone home, um, yeah. sat, you know, at home oh. and mulled over it. And I probably wouldn't have slept anyway. It was better to actually be with friends. Yeah, that's a great point on top of getting like sort of householdy help to make sure like you connect with people, um, you know, even in these times, mm. you know, um, during COVID, you know, many people are going through times where we're not connected and you know I mean I've had a so much happen in the last seven days that I've made sure because that's what fuels your fire and yeah gets you distracted from what that's going on so let's then move on and talk about grief and you know how you've experienced it talk to me a little bit about you know uh, how do you deal with it and you know because you say it never goes away you know so what are some of your strategies um, so now I do um, a lot of meditation um, and meditation uh, at night, um, the worst part um, of the day after a loss, Robert, is night time. Um, you know, you, you try to kind of relax the brain. You're lying in this big king size bed. Um, I, I've never been able to in the 26 months since Robert's um, been gone is actually, I can't lie on his side of the bed. It's just, I can't do that. So, and I, I literally hold my arm out like he's lying on my bed, like, you know, on my arm every night. And um, so going to bed, even like today, last night, I put my meditation on before I go to uh, sleep. I listen to this amazing man, Jason Stevenson. He's a, um, an Australian um, meditation uh, person that you can actually download on YouTube and um, and I just listened to him and literally before he's finished I have all always go to sleep um, and then I wake up and if I wake up in the middle of the night I do, I do the same thing you know if I can't get back to sleep then I put Jason on and Jason comes my bed made and we get through it um, um, 
I, I try to do as much as I can myself around my property. Um, yeah. Vitamin D um, is such a necessary tool. Uh, my doctor uh, told me that, you know, I needed to get at least 30 minutes of vitamin D every day. So, you know, be out in the sun. Obviously, I use, you know, factor 50 and everything. But vitamin D really um, uh, does something to the soul um, and really um, um, sorry, um, counteracts depression. Um, yeah. You know, if you're holed up in your house with no light, then, of course, you it will affect you and I've, and I've had that I've had moments where you know I've um you know twice I've contemplated like ending my life um because I was I, I got into that deep hole I I laid in bed for too long I laid in the couch for too long um so vitamin D for me is a real you know thing that I have to do and I have to eat well um, I know when my system is like breaking down I have to eat well um, yeah. And, you know, and, and people say, well, these are just things that you should do anyway. And, and yes, they are. But, you know, when you've, you need to have a healthy body for yourself. Um, and then I, I, like, I still go to counselling. So after Robert died, um, I had a counsellor. I had a counsellor dur during his diagnosis. Um, I still go to, and, and last week I attended a group um, a counseling session with the Leukemia Foundation. They run those for widows and widowers. Um, and I have a counsellor here on the coach, uh, sorry, on the coast, and I see her every fortnight and we work through the things that I get stuck in. Like, um, you know, grief isn't just about crying and um, your emotions. Grief is also about moving forward into the future. Um, yeah. Like, I'm going to build an accommodation business here on my property. And probably about four weeks ago, I was stuck, Nat. Like, I was like, why am I doing this? Um, I, I, do I have enough money? I just started ruminating on all this negative stuff. Yeah. And, and it was all because I had a fear of doing this by myself. Yeah. Grief, you have a massive fear about doing things by yourself, going out with friends, you know, um, going to the grocery store by yourself. Um, and in my case, building my business, which, yeah. which was a dream of Robert's and mine, it was, it, 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 it was, I was in a, just a, I won't say I was in the black hole, but I was looking down into the black hole. And um, thankfully my counsellor, you know, worked through it. So, you know, my grief, although it's different um, from the first 12 months, I still can't believe today that I'm still having moments where I just cry for, you know, up to an hour because I miss him so much. He was my the love of my life, my soulmate, my best mate. Um, and I've got to now, you know, take a future that he can't come on the journey with me. Although my counsellor does say he's with me, um, yeah. but still, you know, physically he's not. Yeah, people are saying you're such an inspiration um, on on the comments, and yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. So you say dreams can be fulfilled. So what are some of your dreams now that you have? Like, what's what's your vision? You know, obviously your accommodation um, place in the country for people and all that sort of stuff. So what are some of yeah. your plans that you're making moving forward? Yeah, so um, so we brought the property up here six 
uh, it was 12 months before Robert died, but we moved here six months before Robert died. So we'd had a vision for many years that uh, when we were 55, uh, we'd be out of corporate uh, Australia, we'd have an accommodation business. And, and because Robert had had leukaemia, uh, we actually wanted the business to, um, uh, to have families that had survived leukaemia to actually come up and visit our uh, little piece of paradise and they could basically be away from all the machines and everything else and just have a lovely time with their families. Um, but obviously then Robert passed away. So I still wanted to fulfill that, that dream yeah. um, because, and I had to get in my mindset too, that this isn't our dream. This is, it has, I have to uh, think about it as my dream. This is my dream to fulfill my life. So I'm hoping to build at least three cabins um, at the back of uh, my house. I'll have a big pavilion and a pool. Um, I've got 35 acres, so there'll be hiking um, that you can do around the property. I've got a beautiful creek that um, meanders through it, have picnics. Um, but then also, too, I want to run widow widower retreats. Uh, so last week I started to put some collateral together for those where I'll bring six to eight people up to the retreat. Um, it's not formal cancelling. It's really just a gathering of like-minded people that may not know other widows or widowers um, that form friendships that can sit down and just chat about um, how grief has been for them, how life has been for them, and hopefully um, inspire them to then start to think about their purpose in life, their plans for the future um, and, you know, um, leave here with hopefully a, a changed mindset. I also have three horses on my property and this week I'm, um, I've decided to do an equine therapy course. Oh, cool. Um, my horses have been an amazing source of healing and um, the connection I have um, with my new horse has just blown me away in terms of how she reacts to my emotions when, you know, I go out into the paddock or when I ride her. So I'm actually thinking of doing some equine therapy because, you know, you know, you ask many people, um, you know, do you like horses? And people will go, oh, God, I wouldn't get in a paddock with a horse and all this kind of thing. But it's quite amazing the effect horses have on you. So yeah. I've got some plans to actually run these retreats and um, again, hopefully, um, you know, pass on my experience, but really just get people to, to um, know each other that have been through the same type of grief that, that they have. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of what the future looks like. Obviously, um, you know, I'd love to do some speaking events. I want to connect in with some palliative care uh, um, um, hospitals and uh, up here on the coast um, there's yeah. a there's one up here called Bloom uh, Bloom Hill um, Cancer Care and I want to go and um, go and see them and just do some maybe volunteer work because um, yeah. again you know it's that it comes back to that carers piece is it going to help people while they're in that process yeah so um yeah so there's lots of good things you know kind of like that I can look into the future and who knows where that will take me. Absolutely. And I know how 
you know, committed you are when you say you're going to do something, you're very much uh, an action taker um, and yes. you're helping a lot of people. So, so um, you know, give people maybe like a one minute description. If they were going to get your book, what's some of the things that they're going to read through it? Is it about the story? Is it about the story and obviously what was helpful to you and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, well, um, I didn't realise I'd written a love story, Nat. Mm -hmm. Um, every time Robert was, went through another piece of treatment, um, I fell more in love with him. And, you know, I love, it, it's really interesting. I, I still think I love Robert more today than I loved him before leukemia, which is quite interesting in itself. So I definitely wrote a love story. Um, I did write a story which a lot of people have said I've written their story, um, their story of grief, their story of love. Um, I definitely say have a packet of tissues with you when you do read it um, because there, there is lots of raw emotion. I haven't stepped away um, from that. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I think a lot of people have said to me, I couldn't do what you did. But, you know, in the midst of adversity and when you don't have any other choice, mm. your strength and resilience um, comes out. And yeah. your courage to do things or be there um, for your partner or loved one that you never thought you'd ever do. Um, I really do think the book shows that, that the only reason I am the person I am today is because of what I went through. And yeah. I think anybody with the right support and help, um, and I hope that comes out through the book, that they can do the same if needed. Yeah, absolutely. I only know this version of you, so... You know, I think you're pretty amazing. Um, and so uh, you wrote a pretty big book. It was about 60,000 words, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah. So how was the process of doing that? Obviously, you were at November retreat last year. So yes. it hasn't even been a year. And you brought your book out fairly fast. Like it came out just a few months after your retreat. So you've had it for about six yeah. months now? Yeah. So I, um, my book came out in March. Yeah, yes, so four months after retreat. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So how did you find the process of, of a lot of people who've got uh, traumatic stories and situations, you know, find the writing process quite vulnerable, um, you know, because they have to relive it. Um, was that mm -hmm. you, you, did you feel that way as well when you were doing it? Yeah, I did that which is how you read it. I actually wrote a little bit up until a tough part and then I skipped across and then I wrote the next part and then um, I had to be in the right mindset to come back and, and kind of like finish off, especially the last four weeks of, of Robert's life and then, you know, the couple of weeks after his funeral. So, um, but I think the thing that um, really got me to publish the book was I remember um, going to your two-hour, three-hour, you know, the initial um, yes. workshop. Um, I was then asked, and I, and I signed up, and, and Stuart said, well, can we, you know, before we sign you up, we want to, you know, see what your book is. And I'd done some writing, and I'd actually written 100,000 words, which is why I'm ah. actually actually doing the second book because some of that content's going to the second book. But I remember Stuart coming back to me, and he said to me, have you written before? And I said to him, no, I've, um, I, I, I only just passed year 12, Stuart. And then he said to me, this is amazing. 
This is going to help so many people. And from that moment with that feedback and giving me that confidence that this might actually do some good. And, and it's that, that cliche saying, if it does good for one person, then it was worth writing the book. Um, and then every step of the way post that, yeah, like you said, I'm very action orientated. You give yeah. me a set of actions in the week, I go and do it. Um, I, you know, when I was at school, um, you know, I always liked to be the one that finished my homework and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I might have got A, but <laughs> I like the tap on the back from the teacher. And so that's what I did. And also to, you know, when you um, go into your retreats, you ask us to um, do pre-sale and um, I was really lucky. I have a huge network because of where I worked and my family and friends and obviously they know Robert's story. So, you know, when you sell 150 books pre-sale and you say to them that I'm going to have it finished and out by Robert's birthday, which was the 13th of March, then I'd committed. I'd taken thousands of dollars from people to actually do this. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And all of your team just, you know, enabled me to make that happen. Yeah, I loved it. And yeah, you're, it's very similar to me. I would like to get my work done first, like, you know, get the homework. It doesn't have to be perfect. That's the, the motto I think you followed. It's about progress, not perfectionism. And you delivered. And I know you're telling me how wonderful feedback you had from from family and friends on the content and all that sort of stuff. So I'm super proud, proud of everything. Yeah. So where can people grab your book? Like where can they get a signed copy from you? Uh, yeah, so if you go to my webpage, which is www.suzangomes.com.au, uh, you can go on there. Uh, again, you can read a little bit about the book. Uh, you can buy the book, um, you'll get a, you know, special little editions um, when you do receive the book. And you'll also, I'll then subscribe you to my fortnightly emails that I send out. And those emails, are, uh, they relate to content in the book, but they're really about content, which is happening in my life now. So it's like a continuation of my story, my learnings, I and that. I get lots of really good feedback um, around those so as an added bonus you um you get to receive those on a fortnight that's awesome you know yeah because it's like what happens next what how, how is she now yeah. you know so that's really cool so suzanne is spelled normal and gomes is g-l-m-e-s guys.com.au yes. um just so you know the spelling i'm sure lynn is going to post up the link but those that are listening to an audio of this you can go and check it out and um i highly recommend it you're you're truly an inspiration i really can't wait to see you know the, the unfolding obviously the following book because um you know and the opening of the retreat um you know in, in the future yeah. so thank you so much for sharing you know this uh, part of oh. your life and being vulnerable you know and um, I'm sure you're going to help you've already probably helped more than one person I can I can guarantee that <laughs> so, and with this yeah. life you know other people will find out about it and and grab your book and check out more you know maybe because everyone knows someone who is going through you know um, a tough yeah. time so yeah I appreciate it thank you so much Suzanne and I hope to see you also very soon face to face so we can hang out <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, Nat. It's been wonderful Thank being you. on today. Have Bye. a great week. Bye.